0: This is Andy Miles, and I'm talking today with Mike Sherrick and Jason Hill, co-hosts of Into the Gap, which airs live from 9 to 10 a.m. Central, each Saturday on Chicago's WCGO Radio. So, Mike, how did the show start?
1: It started as an idea, and it was a, a really an idea about people, particularly men, overcoming obstacles, and and our role as men in our culture. Because right now, the the role of men, particularly adult men, um... Is not one that's, for lack of a better word, honored very much, and the idea of into the gap was to restore men's honor, and restore their responsibility, and restore them as leaders in our culture, not exclusive with women, but in alignment with them, and create you know a a balance because it's it doesn't occur as balance right now, and. Uh, one of the things we we were looking at is kind of the way men have abdicated a lot of their responsibility. So that's kind of how it started.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the idea that you just touched on of men not being honored?
1: Yeah. So men not being honored. Just watch. Just watch any media today. Listen to the to the commentary that's going on. Um, listen to the uh, the comments. That are made uh, the you know words like toxic masculinity or male fragility. You know are great examples. Um, the the kind of attempt to revise history about what's been accomplished and devalued the things that have occurred. Now, men haven't always done, you know, we've made mistakes. It's not to deny those mistakes at all, but it's really to, to look at kind of the, the narrative. You know, you look at something like me too, right? Yeah. The guy was a jerk and he did some ugly and outrageous things and not every man is a rapist and a sexual abuser and a sexual predator. But that's, you know, that's not what. You have. And then even last week in Chicago, it, w- it was sparsely attended, but there was that women's march again. And it's really an anti-man march. And so it, it, we're not anti-anything. We actually want to like, restore the honor and restore the, the responsibility and restore the leadership of, of men and masculinity. That's, that's kind of the idea of it.
0: And how long have you been thinking about this set of issues? I mean, you've had the show since last May, but I'm guessing it's something you've been alert to and thinking and talking about for some time.
1: Well, the first time that I can actually remember, like being aware of it, um, was the election night in 2012 when Barack Obama beat uh, Mitt Romney in the election, and it was a touch and go election. Actually, he won by three percent of the popular vote. He w- he actually won a substantial amount of the of the um, uh, electoral votes, but it was you know much like the last election, there were a bunch of states that were up for grabs at the very last minute, and it all kind of fell to him, and. I was watching a Rachel Maddow show, which at the time I found her to be moderately interesting, but intelligent. And I didn't have to agree with to, to get the intelligence from it. And she had a woman on Karen Finney. And Karen Finney said the most outrageous thing I've ever heard. She said, what this election proved is that older white males are irrelevant. And I'm like, what? I said, that actually came out of your mouth live on television across the world. You know? And I said, wow. And to me, that was kind of the beginning of the gender wars. So that was like the the Fort Sumter, the first shot, you know. It was like his, historical in its significance. And from there, it's been building on and building on and building on. And you've seen a lot of stuff kind of go the other way. And I think that, for me, that was the beginning of it. Yeah. Like really being aware of it. I had, I had sensed it before that. Like some of the characterizations of men, like in commercials and the Disney dads and stuff like that, you know, and the dopey guys. That's been going on for a while, but you know we kind of owned some of it and didn't take it too seriously didn't, didn't think it was a real affront to what was going on.
0: and Jason, as a professor, you deal with and think about a lot of different issues, but this is something that resonates with you, and you've decided to come on as co-host of the show. What would you add to what Mike was just saying and your approach to these issues?
2: well i I, I function as a college prof in, in, in various uh, registers, but I function as a college professor, and I have been a college professor for the past twenty-four years, and I see something that's quite disturbing that's going on on college campuses, where I think men are being socialized under what I call uh, matriarchal colonization, where men their their sensibilities and their whole socialization is is being is being conducted by women, and and it's quite disturbing to me because I think that men should not should rest from. Women, their socialization process. That is, men should not, it should not be the job of grown men to have their socialization being done by women. Strong men should be socializing and should be defining for themselves what it means to be men. So, what's happening, for example, on college campuses is that you have a number of men who I think are being socialized not to be a new type of man, but to be actually a new type of woman. that is safe for uh, women in the world. And that is very disturbing to me because I think what we're seeing is both the abolition of masculinity, I think the abolition of heterosexuality, the abolition of gender, and I think this is quite ludicrous that that this poses actually a national security threat. If we abolish masculinity, um, on which I think much of civilization has depended, and continues to depend on, then we're, we're facing a crisis in, in, our, in our country.
0: Some of the things you reference there, you see in practice in your day-to-day life on campus?
2: Well, not just at DePaul. I mean, I, I speak on college campuses all across the country and I see, for example, where you know um, young men are being socialized into or uh, under the rubric of a false sense of, for lack of a better word, a sexual psychology where they're being told that if you ask a woman out on a date and she says no, and you ask her out on a date again, that that constitutes sexual harassment or stalking. So I think part of the Me Too movement, I think part of what I call uh, the matriarchal form of male socialization rests on a really faulty, anti-male sense of, of, of prejudice And it's not based on psychological realism, it's not based on an understanding of of what constitutes authentic sexuality. It's based on an anti-male sensibility and a fear of male sexuality and, and sort of predicating all, or naming all male sexual identity as being pernicious and nefarious. And I personally would like to see strong women I think there should be more alpha females, and there should be strong men. Yeah, and that's what that's what our society should be predicated on: strong men, strong women. But what I see happening on college campuses is um, the the generation of of a, of a sex war, and I think in any event of a sex war, I hate to say it, that women are going to lose because uh, men will always find a set of competing. Uh, or a set of women who will satisfy their needs outside of the cadre of upper middle-class bourgeois feminists who are leading this, this sexual revolution against men. Uh, I just think it's, it's unhealthy and I think a sex war, a class war is bad enough, a sex war is, is a dangerous, lethal um, movement to be leading on primarily on college campuses, which filters out into the workplace.
1: I'm actually really concerned about it because I think it's it's more than just uh, the abolition of masculinity. I think it's the annihilation of it, mm-hmm. and it's been going on for quite some time. In the just it, like even if you look at the social structures, right? Like the 82 of the time, if there's a separation in a family, the mm-hmm. children go to the mom, mm-hmm. and right, so there's a removal of their father, and their father no longer is co-parenting. He gets a visitation. Mm-hmm. That's a subtle distinction, and. He's no longer parenting. He's doing what you're talking about the the matriarchal. What did you call it? Colonization. Colonization. So, that even the even the legal system is set up to do that, right? And then when we look at this growth in um, uh, children being born out of wedlock, so the nuclear family doesn't exist. Forty six percent of the children now are, are born out of wedlock. Something like eighty seven percent of the black children are born out of wedlock, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no longer a structure where there is. Where the man gets to father children, right? The, the, the we're losing, so we've actually created structurally the uh, elimination of fatherhood. Mm-hmm. So when we eliminate fatherhood; it becomes what ends up happening. And these kids, these young men, these boys, really end up with no sense of real identity. Mm-hmm. And it becomes easier and easier. So when you, you talk about the the war, you know, in the art of war, all you need is three times the resources of your opponent to destroy it. So there, if there is a war, I'm concerned the numbers are getting so so skewed mm-hmm. that for men to stand up to this, it you know, it it may be getting too late.
2: And there are also all sorts of things associated traditionally with masculinity, like honor. Yeah. Right, and glory. Yeah. Uh that are being poo-pooed on and are sort of being what what the postmodernists would call deconstructed and problematized. But something like like honor and glory mm-hmm. and courage and valor and yeah. chivalry. Mm-hmm. These are all these are all virtues that have been deployed in, 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 in great civilizations and are being sort of thought to be pernicious and to be uh, exploitative and yeah. thought to be, in some sense, um, the province of male vices that have been put in the service of exploiting Uh, minorities and exploiting women. But when you look at these virtues of what, you know, Aristotle would call the virtues of character, like bravery, courage, Mm -hmm. honesty, Mm -hmm. um, glory, um, these are distinctly masculine virtues that women themselves uh, can aspire to embody in their characters.
1: It's so funny when you talk about chivalry, right? So over the last four or five months, I've taken on the practice of making sure I hold the door for
2: whoever's coming through, right? Oh, no. That's a no-no. You know that's a no-no. Well,
1: I know, but I do it all the time. Right. <laughs> and and you know what the you know what the response is always? 100% of the time. Thank you. Well, where do you live? I live in the suburbs. See? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> you think it would be different in the city?
2: Well, I, I I think in the South it would be respected. I think, you know, it depends on the demographics. It Depen- depends on where you really? are. I think if you did that at certain liberal arts colleges, among certain demographic groups, it would be, why are you doing this? Really? You think? It would be seen as demeaning. A certain Really? Okay. Yeah, I think in the general population, I think in the general population, it's respected. Yeah. And this is the thing that bothers me, where a group of very, a small group of women Mm -hmm. uh, have hijacked the sensibilities of a large section of the population. So I go to this one
1: restaurant, Okay? And it's in Downers Grove. And it's, Downers Grove is like the epicenter of suburbanism, right? So I go there once a week. And I, and I always go there. And it's probably the clientele, 70 or 80% women. And I would assert they're younger and they're more, I would say most of them would identify as feminist. You know? mm-hmm. And I hold the door and everyone says thank you and nobody pushes back. And the worst that I've ever gotten was just being ignored and walked
2: through but you know what this is this is about this is about affirming people's dignity yeah and this is about affirming something about the intrinsic moral worth that people mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. and whether you're a man or a woman um in this case a man affirming the dignity and the intrinsic moral worth of a woman by holding the door open it's it's a display of manners it's yeah. a display of goodwill and benevolence yeah, towards another person. Kindness, right? And right? kindness and, and generosity. It, and it just, systematically it would make more sense to me because here's this
1: guy who's 6'2", 250 pounds. Exactly. He can hold the door and here's these women who are like 5'4", 5'5". Exactly.
2: And 120 pounds. Exactly. Going through, right? Exactly. Like it's
1: just, it just seems like the natural order of things.
2: Right, right. right. In a way that's non-demeaning.
1: It's, absolutely it's not. It's, there's no intention for it to be demeaning.
2: Right. At all. Right. You right.
1: know? Right. How would it be demeaning?
2: Yeah.
0: It's
1: actually, you know, be my guest. Right an invitation
0: yeah you know but it does sound like there's a component to you doing that where you're trying to see what the reaction is
1: yeah there is a part of inquiry in it of like you know let's have this be a social experiment and see what the response is like i'm not trying to elicit a response i'm just trying to observe the response and like i've never had anyone push back on me it's Mm -hmm. fascinating Mm -hmm. absolutely fascinating and i'm kind of surprised and and i always feel and and 90 percent of the time there's a thank you and a smile and eye contact and it's like a human related moment of relatedness, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's really what I'm about, you mm-hmm. know, is creating an environment where we all kind of work together mm-hmm. right? and get mm-hmm. together, you know? Mm-hmm. But yeah, there, there's a little bit of mischief behind it in the beginning was to figure it out, you know, just to see, just to, just to test the narrative. And what, what Jason said is so, so prevalent is there's a small group of people who have hijacked the narrative and are saying something that my experience
2: doesn't support. And I think that's what creates the, the confusion for me. Well, in the, in, the, in the attempt to abolish gender and the attempt yeah. to abolish the sense that there, there are no differences between men and women, that's just not the reality on the ground. Most women do perceive that there's a difference between men and women and want to be treated yeah. in a way that distinctly demarcates them as women. Mm-hmm. However, that enacts itself on the, on the playing field you know, in the political or the the exi- let's just call it the existential physical landscape, uh, but I don't think most men want to be treated like a guy's buddy. No, right? No, no. They, I, I think I think
1: men and women. I think there's a complementary element there. Yeah, you know, and I think it takes something to get to it, but I I think it can be complementary. Um, over the last several years, with the exception of radio show. I've mostly partnered with women in business,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's because I need it. Because mm-hmm. you know, there's I have a unique perspective and an understanding of things, and I've just left to my own devices, you know, I could go one way, and 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 you know, I'll put blinders on and I won't see it all, and and working with women always provides a, a much broader sense of what's going on, which then oh okay, we can deal with this and this and this, you know, so and I think I provide something for them you know a sense of clarity and and you know this is where we're going and a sense of direction that allows us to generate the results we need mm-hmm. to to fulfill on our commitments our contracts and our the things we say we're going to do for people mm-hmm. you know so yeah I, it, it just it seems to work i mean i i love working
2: with women without sounding stereotypical here yeah. but but stereotypes exist because, because they they're, they're because real. because they 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 do give some modicum of truth and women can op- often provide s- the subtextual the new more nuanced sure. element of a situation whereas men are very linear and are very sort of more narrow-minded and tunnel vision and oh single tracked
1: and i am a stereotypical male in like the purest sense like i am like punched out of a machine i'm so stereotypical almost you know yeah it, it's almost comical but you know what can i do that's what i who i am you know i own it you know, right, right. and there's a, there's a gift to it and there's also limitations, but if you have limitations and you know what they are, you can put structures in place so that they're not limiting anymore. They can actually become, you know, pretty interesting perspectives. Mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And, and that gets into the whole idea of self-awareness, Yeah, yeah. which is really important, you yeah. know? And I think that's what a lot of this show is too. It's, it's to provide a platform where like we're going to, we're not going to get people more self-aware, but it can have them begin the journey and ask the question where they can. Take what it here on the show, you know.
2: Well, it's you know one of the things I think about is um, something that most of us are committed to, which is a kind of e- a, a certain dis- understanding of equality, yeah, and e- and egalitarianism, but a form of egalitarianism and equality that has run amok, mm-hmm. and that has uh, that has that has led us into places that are just not tenable, yeah, right. So there's 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 equality before the law, and there's equality. Um, in treating people fairly and 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 justly, but there's also a kind of equality and a, and a kind of egalitarianism that is just not the case. It was ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. Right? Well,
1: it's it's like we talked about last week, like the whole Me Too thing. The idea of Me Too, I'm like a thousand percent behind
2: the original idea. The original idea, absolutely. Which is what women's women were being uh, sexually harassed, yeah, and their claims were not being taken seriously yeah. before the judicial the system, yeah. And they started that movement. It's gone from a very honorable. It's like the Black Lives Movement. It's gone mm-hmm. from addressing a legitimate claim mm-hmm. into something that is very anti-male, and um, and quite nefarious, ridiculous, yeah. ridiculous. It just, just gets ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and, yeah. and that's
1: and, and I've seen that be a phenomenon with a lot of things. You know, we, we get a good idea, mm-hmm. and then we you know it achieves its objective, mm-hmm. and for whatever
0: reason, we got to keep rolling with it. Mm-hmm. You know, most
2: well, people are scared of being irrelevant. Yeah.
0: Can you talk a little more about self-awareness and how you see that? My belief is that if
1: people become truly self-aware and understand everything that's great about them and even the dark side about them and really get to know themselves and honor themselves. It's the honor word that Jason brought up. that's so important. Um, they, they will then communicate and operate from an authentic place, which, which then is operating with integrity. And then they will be successful and have an impact in the people they deal with. And that's kind of the process behind it. And, and that's, that's my aspiration. Do I think the radio show in and of itself is enough to do that? No, I don't.
2: There's also the, the, the whole phenomenon of you know radio shows and media today, including social media, where people exist in their own little curated silos. Mm-hmm. And they never, they're never uh, motivated to sort of... Um, Emancipate themselves for want of a better word yeah. outside of their curated silos, and yeah. I mean, one thing that the show can probably do is to is to give people uh, a, an aspirational identity where they sort of want to emancipate themselves from their curated yeah. silos. that's and to really most. Well and, and to leave with a sense of a heightened sense of what they actually think—that is not just a reinforcement yeah. of old. Rehashed ideas that they have, but to have a different perspective and to have a an, a new sense of awareness of of what there is in the world that takes them outside of their comfort zone, but in a but in a way that's not like the show is not a teaching show. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not a pedagogical moment where no. thus speak Jason and Mike and this is the truth, but an invitation to say I never thought this way before. And the way the reason I didn't think this way before is not because I wasn't a stupid person, mm-hmm. but because I didn't really hear a perspective couched in a particular way that invited me to think outside of what was, for want of a better word again, what was part of my curated, yeah, informed my curated silo. What you said was perfect. I mean, that's why he's here, because he's the articulate one. I'm just the guy from
1: Berwyn, right? But <laughs> no, what, <laughs> that, that's really it. it it's 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 not to teach. It's not to train. It's not to do anything. It's to have people begin the inquiry. Yes. And I love to, to get freed of their silo. Yeah. So hopefully what we are, like I said earlier, the gateway drug that gets them out and starts asking questions and go does something they w- wouldn't normally do and inquires into an area that they wouldn't normally inquire and looks at something they wouldn't normally look at. You know, that's really, I think what this is about. So you can start understanding and seeing man this is a pretty big world and there's a lot of cool stuff out there and a lot of cool people and and engaging with those and that you know it, that's why the motto of the show is courage over comfort and that's why it's into the gap like it's there's one side and there's the other and the action occurs in the middle and you know that's that's what it's about that was the whole idea the whole thing and it's fun it's real it's fun, fun man it's, it's, it's fun a as form hell of vitality like in yeah. your body
2: like when you can actually start thinking And realize that thinking and getting yourself outside your own comfort zone is not threatening. It's actually, there's an adrenaline rush to it. Yeah, man.
1: It's like, yeah, it's like anything you do for adrenaline, like skiing or skydiving or riding a motorcycle or MMA or anything that really puts your hiney on the line. Yeah. That's what it's about, man. Yeah. And you articulate it so well. One day I aspire to be able to articulate like you. Otherwise, I'm just going to stick to, you know, two syllable words and. Six letters or less.
0: (laughs) You mentioned the show motto, courage over comfort. Jason's touched on courage in his comments, and I'd like you to address it kind of as its own attribute, but also in that context of courage and comfort.
1: Yeah, so one of the things that's been discovered through the, uh, um, the study of neuroscience is any way to create a new neural pathway, like the act that creates a new neural pathway is actually an act of courage because it's letting go of what you know and is safe and it's stepping into something new with no guarantees of result. So that's that's why courage when I really started studying courage and understanding it like from a from a pragmatic standpoint because before that it was all the macho dude stuff. And yeah, that's courage, but it's it's kind of a reactionary version. There's actually a proactive at cause version of courage where you're like you choose I'm going to do this. You're, you, you understand your fear, and you no longer let the fear run the show, and so you, you choose a different pathway. And that, that, to me, is one of the most profound acts, and it, it, it's the thing that you said adds vitality because it actually makes you alive. Mm-hmm. And so when you step through courage, you actually then begin to engage with life in a new way. And when you engage in life in a new way, all bets are off now. Now, you, no telling what can happen. You can crash and burn, or you can achieve incredible success. You know, but it's like it's it's the renewal process, actually. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and that that's that's why it's important to me.
0: And then what about courage
1: and comfort? Oh, courage and comfort is just comfort to me is just laziness. Now, you know, we we need it because it's kind of how you can sometimes restore.
0: And we also want it, as you've said before.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we want it. It, It's nice. It's also it's sometimes a um, an identifier of success, you know. You know, you've made a lot of money, you, you're, you're comfortable. It's the absence of worry sometimes, right? So there's nothing wrong with comfort unless that's all you aspire to. Because if all you aspire to is comfort, that becomes a very narcissistic way of living. You know? It's, it, it becomes a really small experience of life. So
2: and it never uh, induces growth. Like
1: never, it. never. You sit there and you get fat and you get lazy and you are eating Cheetos And watching ESPN
0: in a continuous loop, right? (laughs) Or Lifetime Channel, whatever your drug is, right? Who would you wish were the people in your audience who are receiving that message? Wow. Because presumably you're you're attempting to talk to people who need this message in their lives.
1: Yeah. I don't know, Jason, is there a particular demographic you want to hit?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the most passive... Uh, set of individuals that are in our society today are co- constitute Generation Z. Okay. The 16 to 22-year-olds. Well, I would say the, the 16 to 30-year-olds. Okay. The individuals who think that self-renewal is not an option, this, the individuals who think that they are actually um who who've had their agency expropriated by uh, other people and are not aware of their capabilities and not aware that they can make a difference in the world that they're absolutely impotent and that they're absolutely incapable of affecting change in the world i think if they can listen to the show and they can realize that their voice and their um and they can activate their 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 they can be they can be um Game changers mm. by just opening their mouths and making certain utterances, and by utilizing their agency in the world in a certain way. Yeah. There are just a lot of very passive people in the world mm-hmm. who have n- have no intimation of their own capabilities. I'd like those individuals to be reached. But when you say people have taken away
0: that agency,
2: uh, who's
0: taken it away, and what sort of forces are in play doing
2: that? Well. Dare I say, for example, you know, I think the far left uh, and advocates of, let's say, like the welfare state uh, would be one phenomenon that I would, I would identify. I mean, I, I work, I've worked in academia for 24 years and I've seen where, for example, uh, the far left has said, you know, you don't necessarily have to exercise your capabilities. You don't necessarily have to be self-respectful responsible you don't you you can be an identified victim victimology is very very much alive in our culture today victimology pays you know you can be a victim and there's always someone who's going to take care of you who's going to solve your your problems so i think there's a far left narrative that's been spawned in our society that says if you are a victim if you are helpless um, uh, there's a managerial class of people Uh, Bernie Sanders is one person, for example, who's spewing this, and Alexander Ocasio-Cortez spewing this narrative that uh, just having any kind of grievance, utterance qualifies you to be a victim, which puts you in the place of being passive and puts you in the place of thinking that you're not responsible for your life, Yeah, right? Where you you are responsible for your fate. Um, Life has dealt you a hand, no, it's your responsibility to play that hand. Yeah. And, um, and I think that our culture is becoming increasingly one that caters to a cult of victimology, where this yeah. seems very, very, I've been here in this country for 35 years, I came here when I was 20. This seems very, very, very un-American. And yeah. the, the American way was we're not a culture of entitlement, we're a culture of can-do people, look. The bottom line is whether you're black or you're white, nobody's coming to save you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's no Calvary. Yeah. <laughs> no, nobody's
2: coming to save you. Yeah. We're we're all here in some sense to help each other out. Like, you know, whether or not you aspire to the ethos that you're your brother's keeper is another issue. But we're here to help in ways that we can. But there is no savior. There's no savior with a capital S that's coming to save you. You're responsible for your fate. You're responsible for your life that there's this precious, sacred, inviolable thing called your life that's that that you're that, that was mm. handed to you at birth and formalized at birth, I should say. Uh and that um it's yours. And that you've and that the state is not responsible for its upkeep. Um, but we live in a culture that increasingly says the opposite, that says, um, you know, someone else or other people are in some sense, responsible for that? Yeah.
1: I don't think we've recovered from 9-11. You know? We took a a shot to the groin, Mm -hmm. and we didn't recover. And the reason we didn't recover is prior to 9-11, we'd gotten pretty soft. Mm -hmm. We'd gotten pretty comfortable. Mm -hmm. That was a time of incredible consumption, Mm -hmm. right? And we got, you know, the American ideal was no longer what John Kennedy said don't ask you know what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country to how much can I get how big can my house be you know what color is my BMW It became very materialistic mm-hmm. and then we took this shot at on 911 and everyone freaked out like this can't happen to us
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then our response was completely inadequate mm-hmm. to what happened
2: and totally we tr- inadequate
1: we, we tried to fight that sanitized war and it's still not over mm-hmm. and then we created a new one And so we haven't responded from there. And then we went on to more and more of this political correctness. And we haven't addressed the very root cause of the problem. And so we got soft. We got kicked in the head. And we didn't respond. And then, you know, we didn't stop. We didn't really look and do a self-assessment. And then the economic collapse. And now we're wash, rinse, repeat, do it all over again. Mm -hmm. And now we've got this weird social construct where we think the government's going to take care of us. Mm -hmm. It's just strange. Mm -hmm. We've lost our way. We've lost the idea of American exceptionalism. We've lost the idea that the United States of America is unlike any other country, created unlike any other country in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it great. That's the thing we got to get back to, is really understanding. Because what's happening, is pull toward globalism is the thing that you talk about. It's the pull toward sameness. That the beliefs and the way things get done in, in the United States should be the same way they get done in Germany. And so I think that's what's happened. We've lost sight of it. We've got, at least I believe, we've got to get back to understanding and really inquiring what does it mean? What does America really mean again? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't think we've, I think we've lost our way there. Yeah. You know? And, and that's kind of what this show's about too, is really what does it mean to be free? Because with freedom is responsibility. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? And so, you know, the, the subcontext of the show is always being responsible.
2: Yeah. You know? America used to be the place that, or the country that would assume some kind of moral leadership mm-hmm. by its example. Mm-hmm. And it seems like we're retreating from the world. And, and, and it would be nice to get back to discussion um, about how Americans feel about their country in terms of assuming leadership in the, in, in the, in the, in the space mm-hmm. of this vacuum that has arisen.
1: I don't know who the great statesmen are, who the great political leaders are, the great
2: cultural leaders are. Well, we don't have statesmen anymore. We have pragmatists. Yeah, we have strategic leaders who 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 fight battles piecemeal. But we don't have we don't have moral visionaries anymore. Yeah,
1: I know. know? That's why I was so disappointed in Barack Obama Mm because I thought, to me, he sold himself to me as that, and Mm -hmm. he was anything but
2: that. Mm -hmm. You know, he lost me. Apologizing for American exceptionalism and peddling soft, you know, this idea of soft power and leading from behind. Yeah. which was, this is just not, this is not the American way. I mean, we don't have to be bullies, and we don't have to be belligerent. And mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I would, I would like to see a, a bigger conversation about the role that America needs to play mm-hmm. in this moral gap.
0: The original format of the show, it was you and Bob Pontarelli, and at the outset, you characterized the two of you as the odd couple. But it occurs to me that this is a fairly odd couple as well. And you make light of it because you've mentioned several times that Jason's the, the articulate one and you're the guy from Berwyn. And obviously that's an exaggeration, but talk to me about the two people you are and what you each bring to the show and how you see each other.
1: Who I am is just, I, I'm, God, I don't know. I don't, that's a difficult question. I'm a guy. I'm a dad. You know, I'm a, uh, i I'm, I'm pretty much a stere- stereotypical Midwestern alpha male pretty stereotypical you know uh i drive a pickup truck and i ride a harley davidson and you know i drink old style beer like legitimately you know um i am an open-hearted guy i care a ton i care more every day than i did before and i believe in that i was born in the greatest time in the history of the world and i live in the greatest country in the history of the world. And for me, this time is a time to give back. Um, What I see in Jason is a guy of profound intellect and courage who inspires me and um, helps me see things in a different light or a slightly shifted light that actually expands my perspective. He's definitely a little more intellectual. I'm a little more blue collar. I think the, the gift of that is it can create a, a a pathway to talk to a lot of different people, you know? Um, so I think that's
0: what I see as possible with this. Can you elaborate a little bit on Jason's courage?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, here's, here's a, <laughs> his courage is coming to America with $120 at 20 years old, right? And only a commitment to come to the greatest country in the world and honor it and, and be as successful as you possibly can. That's huge courage. To be a gay man of color in this country and stand for what he stands for, there's not a lot of, there's not a big constituency that looks, sounds, and operates like him. So there's this individualism and this uh, independence that, in and of itself, requires courage. And courage is also the key element in leadership. Because when you're operating with courage, you're at the tip of the spear. And that's really what leadership is you're the guy who's standing. Leadership is really standing in the face of little or no agreement. It's pointing to the thing that nobody else sees. And I think that's what Jason does remarkably well, you know.
0: So, yeah.
2: Thank you. And what would you say, Jason, about yourself and about Mike, too? I think first and foremost, I, I'm not an academic. I mean, I, formerly I am an academic because I, I work in the academy and, I, and I'm a trained philosopher. But, but really, I am a public intellectual. I'm someone who, uh, who left Jamaica with a burning desire to um, communicate to a broad audience. I was trained first as a journalist, as a print journalist, uh, before I left Jamaica, and uh, wanted to take very complex ideas and break it down for the average person to understand and to leave per- people with a sense of their own expanded possibilities. And I'm a great patriot. I think this is the greatest country on the face of the earth and uh, it's an unprecedented, unparalleled phenomenon. And I wanna give people a sense of uh, the greatness of America, but also to leave people with a sense of their own immutable, indisputable exceptionalism. I think a lot of people, a lot of Americans walk around feeling like they have not been heard, a sense of their own invisibility. And I want to use my voice in some, in some sense to awaken people's own sense of their uniqueness. I think this is something I'm able to do successfully in the classroom. Heard in what sense?
0: In the public arena or heard in their personal relationships?
2: Heard in their own unique voices, like what what they actually think. I think most people mouth generic slogans because they conceive of themselves as sheep, as part of a herd. and it's it always strikes me as as amazing when I say to someone, No, 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 no. I want to hear what, what you think. Not what you think I think you want me to think, or not what the herd thinks, or not what part of your what your group thinks. What do you think as an individual? What is your unique only your thoughts? Your thoughts only. People come alive. This is why what I talked about, what I hope to bring to the show was a sense of vitality in people through the act of thinking. Um, people are not heard. I think this is part of, you know the the Trump phenomenon where people are released from the bondage of political correctness and and feel free to say what they actually. Want to say whether one is a Trump supporter or not, this is part of the phenomenon of 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 why people feel for the first time for for many Americans freedom to say to have their bad conscience unleashed. So getting back to what I you know who I am it's it's someone in in one sense I'm quite simple i'm I'm an old-fashioned geek who is just someone who loves ideas want to communicate ideas, want to show the connection between the most abstract ideas and its relationship to how you can live an expanded, amazing life, that the life of thought and the life of action are uniquely related. And I think Mike is someone whose native intelligence I really appreciate. He's, he's, he's the man of, I'm the theoretician because I live most of my life in my head up in the stratosphere in the sky. Most of my life has lived behind my desk in the classroom, coming up with philosophical ideas. And I see Mike as someone who is a man of the world. He's someone who has started many, many companies. Um, I worked in corporate America very, very briefly for a short time, but i've I've been in school most of my life. I have five college degrees. I've been a, a schoolman most of my life, and I see Mike as this man with a a, a brilliant native mind who started many, many companies who's out there in the world, who can actually teach me something about the practical world and, and who can actually make me laugh because I'm not one to... My humorous side does not come out very quickly unless you know me really well. So he can make me laugh on the radio, whereas that's not going to happen. If, I'm, if, I, if I have a microphone in front of my mouth, it's going to be hyper-serious, a, very, a lot of gravitas, very in-depth. And Mike can make me laugh. He can bring out the lighter side of me. He can make me more humorous. I think it would be a good match because he's got this practical can-do know-how about how the world operates. I know how the world operates in terms of the ideas that people live by. Mike has a, a full grasp of the practicality of the, of the universe. And he can teach me something, which is why I don't like to deal with academics, because I'd much rather deal with a businessman or a construction worker or a janitor or a lawyer, someone who can teach me something about the world. And I think that we'll, we'll bounce off each other really, really well.
1: I'll bring the whoopee cushions, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. make fart jokes and stuff like that. Yeah. That's, that's the gift I bring. Because yeah. nothing's funnier than farts. Yeah. They really, they're hilarious, right? and the most like when they just happen out of nowhere like that will always make everyone laugh (laughs)